Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the, and the last of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning as we gather in our homes. Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to listen to you. Open our hearts to receive from you all that you have for us. God, I pray that you use me as a vessel to speak to your children. Lord, speak to us, for we are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. I will still remember the first time I was duped by a con man. Now, I must say at the time I was very oblivious. It was my freshman year in high school in a new city, and I was so excited, you know, to have this wonderful education that would lead me straight to college. And yes, right there in my first trimester, this man comes to our school and he has this very, very touching and telling story about these kids on the street that needed books and needed uh, some sort of support. And that we, the students in the school, were so fortunate that even if we, you know, shared a little bit of what we had, it would go a long way in helping these very disenfranchised, orphaned street children. I was so moved by his story that I went you know, to my dormitory because it was a boarding school. I got my set of brand new exercise books. I got some mathematic, math- mathematics set. I got some money and I donated to this guy. And I wasn't the only one. So many of us did the same. You know, we donated because we thought we were helping kids in need. You know, I mean, what's the harm in in sharing the little that you had? Right. And so I felt so good. I felt so good doing the right thing, helping people. And then once this guy was done talking to us, um, my friend just tapped me on the shoulder And he said, hey, you realize what just happened? I'm like, no. He goes, you just got duped. You just got conned. You got played. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean I just got played? And he began walking through the steps that a con man takes to get stuff out of people. Like the stories that make you just feel like, I've got to do something about this, right? Or how they toy with your emotion to make you feel like you just can't sit and not do anything about a suffering world. And as he walked me through the steps of what the conman did, my eyes began widening and I began realizing, oh my goodness, this guy's fake. How, how could this happen? How could the school let this happen to us? Fortunately, my friend had already reported to the teacher what happened. And the conman was nabbed before he left school with our donated items. But my eyes were open that day to see that con men, they have a playbook. 
They know how to toy around with your emotion. They know how to mess you up. They know how to set you up so that you can freely give up what they want to rob of you. And that story kind of reminds me of what John is saying here. You know, John, being old in his age at the time of his writing, this is 90 AD, you know, he says, do not love the world. And John brings this comparison of loving the world, which is the world is full of darkness. The world belongs to the, you know, to the devil, the prince of this, this world. And he compares it with, with the love of God. God is light. God is love. And John says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So there is no... This is, this is an either-or situation. You cannot have a middle ground. And that's what John is saying. And then he casually drops in verse 16. And he begins to point out how the world works. He says, look at how the con man, the devil, works. In the world, John would say, there's the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life. So John essentially was telling the church, Guys, this is the devil's playbook. Just like my friend told me what the playbook of a con man was, John is telling us, he's saying, look, you want to know how the world works? You want to see the devil's playbook? It is right here. You know, and the interesting part is, John is not making a new observation. This is something that has been happening since the beginning of time. The devil used this playbook at the beginning of creation on Adam and Eve. The devil used this playbook uh, on the great men and women of faith who have journeyed before us. The devil used this playbook on Jesus himself, and he will use the same playbook on you and me, right? So without further ado, let's look at the three lures of this world. The first one is the last of the flesh. John, uh, John states here in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the first is the last of the flesh. So what's the last of the flesh? I'm so glad you asked. The last of the flesh is what our flesh desires. It's what our body needs. It's interesting the things that we do to fulfill the last of the flesh. Now, I know some of you are perfect. I know you're a Christian. But let's reflect to back in the days when you fell to the last of the flesh. Remember that time. Maybe you were, maybe you were young, maybe three or four. And maybe you, you, you ate a cookie, you know, or some pastry with all the evidence in your face. And your parents asked, who ate the cookies? And you went, not me. Do you remember this moment? I know, it's very trivial. The last of the flesh tends to grab us even as young as maybe two or three years old. And we will struggle with the last of the flesh unless we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So, the devil... He in his playbook, his number one go-to play 
is the last of the flesh. Think of the things that your flesh desires. You know, there's that last, there is that longing for something. The body needs nourishment. The body needs food. The body needs um, to be taken care of. The body needs to be clothed. The body needs a lot of things. The body has desires. And if we're going to be overcomers in 2021, we need to be aware of the last of the flesh. Look at how the devil played this on Adam and Eve. If you turn to Genesis chapter 3 in the story about the fall of man, remember when the, when the devil, the cunning serpent, showed up to Eve and he asked Eve, Eve, he said, did God really say that you should not eat of this fruit, uh, that you should not eat of this tree? And the, and the woman said to the devil, well, you know, God told us to eat of every fruit in this garden except from the tree in the middle of the garden. And if we do eat that, Eve adds, we're going to die. The devil says, come on, that's not true. God just wants you not to be wise as him. You know. So turn to, uh, to, to chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 6. This is, what the devil, this, is, this is how Eve responds, knowing that if she eats the fruit, she'll become wise and, know, and she'll know between good and evil, just like God. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Let me pause right there. It was good for food. Our body craves food. Have you ever missed a meal? Right? Like you're so busy. Maybe you're doing your homework. Maybe you're busy working. And before you know it, you've missed your meal time. What happens? We get very irritated, right? Our body has a way of sending the signals to let the rest of the world know we are not alright. We just missed food. We're not just hungry now. We're hangry. Right? So, the devil plays the playbook and Eve falls for it. The, the fruit looked good. The flesh desired to eat of it. And Eve took a bite of it. Now, the same playbook. Let's, let's fast forward to Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And guess who shows up after Jesus is done fasting? The devil, of course. And what does he say? If you're the son of God, in Matthew chapter 4, he says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. There again, the last of the flesh. The devil knew Jesus had been hungry. I mean, you probably have just missed a meal. Maybe some of you are spiritual enough and you've fasted for a day or two. But imagine going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. So Jesus, he's at his absolute weakest uh, physical point because the body is begging for food. And the devil shows up. And what does he uh, command him to do? He says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Now we can learn a few things from how Jesus responded. Unlike Eve and Adam, 
Jesus turns to the word of God. He turns to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is your response when the flesh, when the last of the flesh comes at your, knocking at your doorstep? What's your reaction when the flesh is begging you, tempting you, driving you to sin? Do you cave in? Do you look at it like Eve and go, oh my goodness, this looks good. I just can't resist. I've got to take a bite of it. We should learn to respond like Jesus did. Jesus turned to the word of God and he said, it is written. It is written in his word. It is written that man cannot live. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't know what temptations are coming your way. I don't know what you're struggling with. You see, it's very easy for us to cave into the last of the flesh. And what do we call it? It's my weakness. I'm just prone to this. Let us not make room for the last of the flesh. So when you and I encounter the devil's lure of the last of the flesh, let us remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. What did he say? He said, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the last of the flesh. In 2021, if we want to overcome the world, if we want to overcome temptation, we should walk in spirit. If you don't want to give in to the desires of the flesh, walk in the spirit. What does that mean? It means walking in light. It means inviting Jesus into your heart and letting him guide you through every step that you take. You can seek his counsel. You can trust in him. You can lean and rest in his saving grace. That is how you walk in the spirit. No longer are you driven by the last of the flesh for you to fulfill these desires of what the flesh is begging you to do. But rather, you're led by the spirit of God. You're moved by the spirit of God. And he shapes and molds you. And he guides you. Do not walk in the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, Paul would encourage us. So that's the first play that the devil will always bring. And I know some of you are going, that doesn't bother me. I have great self-control. What are you talking about? I'm coming to your neighborhood. I'm so glad you brought that up. What's the next thing that John mentions in verse 16? He says, the last of the eyes. The last of the eye is one of the greatest play the devil will bring upon us. Just when you've overcome the last of the flesh, just when you think you've got it under control, the devil still has a trick uh, under his belt. He'll bring in the last of the eye. He did the same thing. Go back to, again, Genesis 3.6. This is what um, 
This is what Eve, after looking at this fruit, the Bible says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. I'll pause there again. The fruit looked pleasing to the eye. Now, I know some of us are not driven by the lust of the flesh. We think we've got this great self-control. We've read millions of books about how to be in control of your body and how to be in control of your surrounding. Great books that might have helped us calm down and not focus on the lust of the flesh. But the next thing that we might fall folly to is the lust of the eyes. The fruit looked pleasing in the eyes of Eve. And this just solidified all the more reason why it was worth biting, right? Like, it looked good. I mean, if the fruit looked yucky, she probably would have just tossed it away and gone, mm, not, not, I'm not taking a bite of that. But the fruit looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. One thing that you get to realize as you grow up is, you know, the, as you're growing as a child, you tend to be driven by what the flesh needs. But then as you get into your teenage years, you know, get into your early 20s and even 30s sometimes, all you care about is what your friends think about you, what everyone thinks about you. Like everything that you do, the center of your world is revolved around people's perception of you. No wonder we flood social media with all this persona and put portrayals of ourselves like we've got everything under control. We post the highlights of our daily lives because we want approval of people. What people see in us is what we're trying to reflect to them. And we're so caught up in that. We're so influenced by what people see in us. We're so influenced by how we see ourselves through the lens of other people's eyes. My friend, that is the last of the eye. When we seek approval, when we seek acceptance, when we seek to be seen, to be known by other people, to be perceived in a certain way that we are not a failure, we're not, you know, we're not the worst, like we want to perceive as the best. When we turn all our ambition towards fulfilling that, my friend, you just played into the hands of the devil. That's why the world wants to be right there for you to think you're the center of attention. And John warns us. He says, beware of the last of the eyes. Be not everything revolves around you. I know that might be shocking for some of you to hear. Yes, I'm talking to you. The world does not revolve around you. Snap out of it. I know it's harsh, but that's the reality you need to hear. See, even Jesus, the devil didn't spare him. He played this very same trick on him. In Matthew chapter 4, again, verse 5, the Bible says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Now here's the path. Jesus overcame the last of the flesh by quoting scripture, right? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. 
the devil says, oh, all right, you know your scripture. How about I bring some scripture? Psalms 91. Jesus, remember in Psalms 91 verse 11 and 12, where the Bible says, God will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, see how witty the devil is? Now the devil is quoting scripture too. Now, what is he trying to say? The devil is telling Jesus, you claim to be the son of God. Throw yourself up. Let be the center of attention. Let everyone see that you can fall from this temple all the way to the ground because the Bible says he will send angels and they will swoop up and pick you up. Your toes won't even hit a stone. The devil is trying to make Jesus the center of attention, but for a very wrong reason. It, ha it has been said to the eyes, I believe it was Shakespeare who said this, that the eyes are a window to your soul. So that means whatever you see, it guides people into your soul. You can tell if someone is lying just by looking at their eyes. You know if a smile is true or fake just by looking at someone's eyes. Whether there's that crinkle, you know, whether, whether there's like these little things that you can see that someone is really genuinely smiling or they're pretending. Do you know what's interesting about that saying though? That saying is an adaptation from the gospel actually. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, Chapter, 20, chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. He said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you and I, we need to be careful where we lead our eyes. Where you, where you lead your eyes will open either the light to God's love or the light that comes from the darkness of this world. And that light that you let in will illuminate the whole of your body. Can I be frank with you and ask you this simple question. What are you letting in through your eyes into your soul? What are you feeding your soul with? Because the last of the eyes, just like we saw with the last of the flesh, a last is a temporary fix for a permanent solution, which is a longing. In the first instance, Jesus taught us that the last of the flesh is fulfilled by the longing of God's word. And now he's reminding us and he's saying, the last of the eyes has to be filled with a longing for God's light. What is it that you're letting in into your soul? That's where the last of the eyes come in. Are you lasting with your eyes or are you longing with your eyes? Now that is the real question. So Jesus, being tempted, he responded, again, with the scripture, 
no doubt. And he said, it is written, again, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It is written that do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus overcame the devil's playbook of the last of the eyes, again, by quoting scripture. And not only by quoting scripture, he lived it for us. Jesus demonstrated to us that we ourselves can be free from the last of the eyes. The third play that the devil will always play is the pride of life. We've already looked at the last of the flesh. And we, we, we walked through the analogy of being young and being driven by fleshly desires. We looked at the, la the last of the eyes. And probably you're going, yeah, that's not me either. I'm good. Like my walk, my eyes, they're all taken care of. I am a clean lamp. God's light is through my eyes. And maybe you've arrived at this from wisdom that you've, got, you've garnered by living a longer life. Because the reality is, as you get older, you realize nobody even ever cared. All these things that you did to please people, nobody cares. I know if you're young and you're watching this, it is shocking, but that is wisdom right there. Is that at the end of the day, nobody even cared. Those likes mean nothing. Those hat thing on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, they mean nothing. It's a fleeting moment. You can go back and look at them and feel good, but it doesn't change who you are. And so this is the part where the pride of life steps in. See, going back to this same play, you'll notice that Eve was tempted the same way. In Genesis 3.16, when Eve looked at the fruit, the Bible says it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. Oh, and this is the part where she just couldn't resist but take a bite. The Bible says it was desirable for gaining wisdom. What does that have to do with the pride of life? It has everything. The desire to gain wisdom. It is the pride of conquering it all. Just when you think you've got it all together, that's when the enemy strikes. See, we as Christians should be very careful because the moment that you think you're strong, the moment that you think you have overcome every temptation the devil has thrown at you, in that moment when you feel proud of what you have accomplished and the pits you have avoided to fall in, my friend, that is when you're at your weakest for the enemy to bring his play number three. Just as you've lived your life and you have mastered the discipline of not giving into the flesh, just as you've realized everything that your eyes have lasted for mean nothing, and just when you think you've got it all together, that is when you're ripe for the enemy to strike. Um, so Eve could not resist because this fruit, if I take a bite, she said, will grant me immeasurable wisdom. I'll be like God because that's the lie the enemy told her, right? And she fell for it. And as we know, that was the fall of man. Jesus was tempted in the same way. If you go to Matthew in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him up high on a mountain 
showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all its glory and all its splendor. And you know what the devil said? He said, all of this, Jesus, I will give it to you if you bow down and worship me. See, the pride of life is in knowing that you've conquered the world. Satan, in essence, was telling Jesus, you don't have to go through the cross. It can be all yours. All you simply have to do is bow down and worship me. It's all yours. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus had to turn to the devil and say, Look, I have authority over you. Get away. Get out. I mean, get out of the way. And again, Jesus speaks from Scripture, Deuteronomy 6.13. He says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. Adam and Eve, they bowed down. They couldn't resist. The pride of life choked them. Now, this is the part where most people think temptation is just for the things that happen to the flesh and the things we see or to our soul, to the body and soul. But trust me, temptation will find you even in areas where you think you've got it all together. This reminds me of a story of, you know, Jesus' disciples. They went to a town and what, what did Jesus do? He commissioned them. Um, the Luke records for us. These guys went to the, uh, to the town preaching the good news. And there were people who were demon-possessed. And the disciples rebuked the, uh, you know, the, these demons. And these demons left, you know, uh, the people who were uh, being tormented by the demons. And these guys came back. They were so happy. You know, the disciples came back to Jesus. They were like, yo, Jesus, let me tell you what happened when we went down there. You know, people who were sick got healed. We commanded the demons to get out. You should have been there, Jesus. You should have seen how awesome that was. Oh, my goodness. You won't believe, you know, demons obeyed us. They left uh, the, the bodies that were tormenting. And we did that, Jesus. We did that. You know, translation. Think if this was happening in our modern day and age. You, we, be, we come to Jesus and say, look what we have done. God, we've served you faithfully. We've been on missionary journeys. We've served you even in the midst of a pandemic. And God, look at how the church has grown. Look how wonderful things have turned out. We come before God bragging about what he has done in and through us. Get that? What was Jesus' response to them in Luke 10, 20? This is what Jesus told his disciples. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, pride has no place in God's sight. Now, if I'm to ask you a little quiz, what was the first sin? I'll let you answer. Maybe drop it in the comment section. What do you think the first sin was? Right? Now, if I know any better, 
I do not have those magical powers to see what's being typed in the in the comment section. But I'm pretty sure the fall of man is in that comment right now. But here's the shocking news. The first sin, the first sin was pride. When the devil decided, as we read in the um, in the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel and even Revelations, when he thought he was more special than all the other angels, pride built up in him. He thought, I can lead people into the presence, into the throne of God through worship. I am that special. I should be God myself. And as the Bible tells us, the devil and his angels waged war and God sent the archangel Michael to defeat and cast them to the earth. The first sin was a sin of pride. And so the devil has always had this card in his hands because he knows what cost him. And he always plays that card to us as well. As believers, let us be mindful. Let us not take pride. I'm not saying you should not be proud of what you do. What you do is great, and we are proud of how God uses you for that. But for a second, do not think that is what defines you. Do not think that is where your success arises from. Let's give glory to God and not make it about us. And so, Jesus told the devil, away from me, for it is written, worship God and serve him only. When you sit back and reflect, when you look at everything that has happened in your life, what are your proudest moments? What is the one thing that you feel really good about? Not just maybe one or two. Think of the things that really make you proud as a human. Something that makes you really proud as a Christian. If we were in church, I probably would have asked you after service to tell your neighbor what that moment is. It would have been a great exercise to see how God is glorified in the thing that you're most proud of. Or God not glorified at all. Would it be all about you and your accomplishments and the things that you have attained in life? Would it be your success? Would it be something that you've seen God do and you'd give the credit to God? I want us in this moment, as the worship team comes to lead us in a moment of reflection and response, I want us to come before God with an honest heart, with an open heart, an open hand. I want us to humble ourselves before the Lord. The Bible says in James chapter 4, 10, humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. 